This is Cutting Through the Matrix on January the 5th, 2011. Newcomers, look into my website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com. Help yourself to the many downloads, hundreds of them, of uh, audios that you can go over at your leisure, where I try to give you shortcuts to understanding this big picture, which they call reality at the top. That's a reality that's made for you. It's different from the one they live themselves, of course. But I try and give you the organizations that work together and the foundations and so on, uh, all with a common cause, a common purpose, a common agenda to bring the world into a proper world where it should properly be made and even making us the way that we should probably get made in the future as well. We're all just wrong, you see, and everything's just wrong. And these are the big builders, and they say that they came to to fix all those things that were made wrong and perfect them. And that means literally playing with the big dollhouse they call planet Earth and making the kind of world that they want. And, of course, they have many models for different eras to come up after this one. So help yourself from the from the, those audios. There's transcripts available, too, from all the sites in the English of a lot of the talks for print-up. And if you can get into alanwattsentinel.eu, you'll find transcripts in other languages, too. Print them up, pass them around to your friends. And remember, too, that you're the audience that bring me to you. I don't bring on the advertisers, and I don't sell things. The only thing is I sell are the books I've written and the discs and so on I've made, and that keeps me just ticking over. Now, I don't know if I'll go too far this year because I need I need the cash just to get by. It's expensive doing what I'm doing, and it's more than a full-time job. I wouldn't wish this on anybody. It's just something that had to be done at the right time because I accumulated enough knowledge throughout my life, and I said I've got to tell the people what's happening, and I came out eventually and started to do so. And it's a miracle, really, the way that things took off. People were starved for real information, and I helped to give them the big picture. So purchase the books and so on that I have up there. From the U.S. to Canada, you can use a personal check. You can also use an international postal money order. You can use PayPal. Just use the donation button on the site and followed up by an email with name, address, and order. And I'll get it out to you. Same across the rest of the world. And some people just send cash too. Remember, that still gets through. Uh, the rest of the world, you can use Western Union if, if you're in a hurry and you want to wire it. You can use uh, MoneyGram as well. They can also wire, but they can give you a check instead, which you post if you're willing to wait a week. It's a lot cheaper. And again, PayPal to order by using the, the donation button and an email following it. And as I say, we are really going through the greatest changes ever and planned a long time ago, written about too, and published books a long time ago by the top socialists and the Fabians and so on, uh, where they said they'd bring in a controlled authoritarian society. This whole idea of democracy just wouldn't work. Too many conflicting parties. 
uh, when you gave people rights and they believed it individually, they were a problem for their masters to handle. They just couldn't get you all to go along in the same course and direction at the same time, so they'd have to be authoritarian. And the idea was to initially destroy all the culture that you had until you're hedonistic and narcissistic and you think the world revolves around you. And when you're like that, you see, you won't stand up for anybody else or even for yourselves together. And that's what's happened today. That's where we are today. Um, people, this is the greatest takedown ever. They've never taken a, a, a place or a nation or even countries down like this before where they've, they've turned them all into hedonists and narcissists and look at me and it's a free-for-all out there in the sexual uh, shopping mall. And they never grow up, but they don't realize that they've no future left. They don't know that yet. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back in Cutting Through the Matrix, going into the reality behind all of this and how the big boys themselves published their books and boasted about what they'd planned to do and they're quite confident in what that they were planned to do because, you see, it was discussed a long, long, long time ago and humankind has been studied like no other creature on the planet for thousands of years. So they knew darn well that through behaviorism and the sciences, uh, they could certainly change society, and also, too, by really taking over what was supposed to, supposed to be democracy that never existed, but really taking over in a big way, becoming more authoritarian. They could change school systems and get um, every country on the same curriculum with the same agenda, which they did do, and that's why they created UNESCO for the United Nations and put uh, Julian Huxley in charge. He also wrote a good book about the kind of society they'd bring in, and he said we must separate one generation from the, the others, the previous generations, and train them in a completely different manner and get rid of the idea of sin, sin, all sins. In other words, all the morality that held society together must to be demolished and they would be taught to do whatever they wanted for a while. It would cause a form of chaos and then, of course, government would come in and give you uh, the big laws to follow. Government would be the new law, you see, of the land they were not there to serve you, they were there to order you. And they certainly did that through the 60s and sped up through the 70s up to the present time. And uh, society as it was has been turned on its head completely. And government has literally, as, as Julian Huxley said, they, they, they wanted to, has taken over all the positions of the family. They'll support the single mums and so on. They'll give you the abortions you want. They'll, don't worry, everything, the government will take care of everything. If you can't manage to raise a child, we'll raise it for you, and so on and so on. And that's what they plan to do, and they've been awfully successful. And they've brought this, the people to a stage where nobody can bond anymore. As I say, the idea is to get out on the weekend and dressed up to kill and just end up with whoever, whoever you happen to get handy for the night. And it's ridiculous. They created a, a youth culture that's supposed to be perpetual. You don't grow up ever, and um, which is ridiculous in itself when you see a lot of these women with their facelifts and the stretched faces and they can't close their eyes and spending all their money or someone else's money on trying to keep fits and, and, and keep their legs in shape and so on. 
incredible amounts of money to trying to pretend that they're still young instead of saying, no, I'm getting older and wiser, hopefully. And unfortunately, they're not getting wiser. They're stuck in a youth culture. At one time, the, those who were elderly were held in high esteem. And all cultures that are so-called primitive, even today, uh, they, they hold the elders in high esteem because they've got the most wisdom. They've seen it all, and they've seen all the mistakes, those pitfalls that the youngsters go through. You ask them for advice, they'd give you great advice, and that doesn't happen anymore. The ones who are ending up in the old folks' homes today uh, are the TV generation. They, were, they grew up on it. They thrived on it. They followed the directives of it. They copied it. They mimicked it into their real life, their own life, and they have nothing to pass on to the youth of today at all. That's exactly what the war was designed to do. So here we are at the mercy of the powers that be, and it's, it's difficult to even get people to, to come together for their own survival. That's what you do when you destroy all culture, because it's a fabric of, of the family and society that holds you all together. That's what warfare is. And it's all been very successful across the Western world, and uh, we're, we're going through the fallout now where we're pretty well helpless and all yelling and screaming, but we have no solutions to it. And nobody wants to give up what they think is the good life because they've been raised in it. They've been raised with multi-partners and so on and having a great old time. And uh, they don't want to lose that. And yet you can't have it all, you see. You can't have it all. It's, it's, it's either. You see, if you have no self-discipline, then there'll be no discipline for, in those around you to stand together. And the old sins, as he called them, were really there to give you self-discipline. A time and a place for everything, you see. But uh, this has been very successful, and there's no doubt about it. There were uh, a group of men at the top. There was a group of men with many foundations, many organizations, at the very beginning of the 20th century. They, They existed already, of course, in previous centuries. They were under different names. And as I I mentioned before, that the Milner Group, one of the biggest groups that came forward to push forward the the British Empire that would mutate into a world empire when America would take over for them, they they created the the Council on Foreign Relations. They created, uh, when they joined with the Rhodes Foundation, the Rhodes Scholarship for World Leaders, not for national leaders, but a lot of them became national leaders, by the way. And they literally brought in the kind of world they wanted to bring in. They used education to uh, completely alter the culture uh, into a single generation, raised them up, gave them their, their, their fun for a while, and now they're bringing them all down. Because at the same time, they planned to bring down the West uh, once they were all dysfunctional. They planned to take it down financially. And when they signed the, the free trade agreement with China through the World Trade Organization, uh, they knew darn well that, that once that happened, all balance of trade would be anything but a balance. Uh, it would all be a one-way street from China to North America and Europe, and that's exactly what has happened. This whole farce of balance of trade is nothing more than that. It's a farce. And the only thing that goes back to China are issues of credit and debt. Uh, that's what goes back to China, IOUs. But they knew this, as I say, and they replaced it with nothing. They knew when they brought in this free trade that they were, they were going to replace it with nothing. 
and they called it really a service economy they'd bring in, which they'd already tried in Britain, and it failed miserably. Because when you're a service economy, you just buy things and you pass them around. The, the, the countries that manufacture the original item are the ones who bring in the cash. Without manufacture, you, you, you've had it. And they knew this too. And at the same time, all this was going on too. They were bringing in the greening movements, and they were going to use um, for depopulation purposes. And this is the real goal behind the greening movement and sustainability and all the rest of it. All the various crises of global warming, and before it was an ice age, then in the same characters turned out to global warming for a while. And their their whole goal was to use sustainability and uh, weather predictions and man-made weather uh, disasters, supposedly, to convince us that we had to be sterilized and brought and bring the population down, even though their own official charts and the UN chart show that the populations of the Western world have been plummeting because no one's having children, you see. And that's the reason your own governments come out openly and say that's why we have to have massive immigration, to pay off the national debt. That's what they tell you. So even when you've been goody two-shoes and had no children, you've had your hedonistic lifestyle and lifetime, then it doesn't please them because you can't please these monsters at the top. They have a different agenda and a different reason for lying to you, you see. And I'm going to read some of the liars here that came out in the past that were well-funded by the big foundations and are still held up by some of the ecologists today as the pioneers for for giving out the, the bad news to the public. And this uh, and I'll put these sites up, everything I mentioned on my website at cuttingthroughthematrix.com at the end of the show. And it, this is called Busted Predictions from Brazen Prophets. It says, what is most astounding about the human race is the people like Paul Ehrlich, and that's a great pal, of course, of Holdren, that's now uh, appointed to be the science czar for the U.S., It says, who predicted vast coastlines would be evacuated due to rotting fish by 1980, or Oppenheimer with a black blizzard of sand covering a continent by 1995. People who have long proven to be arrant failures at making predictions are still invited to speak or write. Some commentators still mention their name or quote them with a straight face. They say that these are psychopaths. You see, psychopaths never have any shame. It says, surely it takes a special kind of braggadocio and a certain delusion of grand proportions for these would-be leaders to appear in public after predictions like these, and yet they do. And here's here's some adapted and rearranged from Fox News. Uh, And this is a Paul Ehrlich speech at the British Institute for Biology, September 1971. By the year 2000, the United Kingdom will simply be a small group of impoverished islands, inhabited by some 70 million hungry people. If I were a gambler, I would take even money that England will not exist in the year 2000. And then in 10 years, uh, all important animal life in the sea will be extinct. Large areas of coastline will have to be evacuated because of the stench of dead fish. And that was the Ehrlich speech uh, of an Earth Day, the United Nations Earth Day, 1970. By 1995, the greenhouse effect would be desolating the heartlands of North America and Eurasia, with horrific drought causing crop failures and food riots by 1996. The Platte River of Nebraska would be dry, 
while a continent-wide black blizzard of prairie topsoil will stop traffic on interstates, strip paint from houses and shut down computers. That was Michael Oppenheimer published in Dead Heat, St. Martin's Press, 1990. These are the heroes of this movement. Then, if present trends continue, the world will be 11 degrees colder by the year 2000. This is about twice what it would take to put us in an ice age. That was Kenneth E.F. Watt, no relation to mine, in Earth Day 1970. At that time, you see that their guess was an ice age. They're going to bank on that. Arctic specialist Bernd Balkan said a general warming trend of the North Pole is melting the polar ice cap and may produce an ice-free Arctic Ocean by the year 2000. That was in the Christian Science Monitor, June 8, 1972. Using computer models, researchers concluded that global warming would raise average annual temperatures nationwide 2 degrees by the year 2010. Associated Press, May 15, 1989. By 1985, air pollution will have reduced the amount of sunlight reaching Earth by one-half. Life magazine, January 1970. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back. We're cutting through the matrix, just cutting through the reality here from these gurus, these science gurus that were put out in the 60s, 70s and 80s and 90s to give us all this bad news about anthropogenic global warming, man-made global warming, which we had to believe in, you see, in order for the carbon taxes to get pushed to set up a worldwide bureaucratic structure to tie all economies together under their jurisdiction, much like the, the way that they got the EU together, same kind of thing. And it says here too, here's another, another great prediction here, it says, uh, within a few years, children just aren't going to know what snow is. Snowfall will be a very rare and exciting event. And it's linked to more detail of this article here. And that was David Viner, member from the, the famous East Anglia University Climate Research Unit in the year 2000. The guys that put all the fake emails out uh, and uh, getting thousands, well, millions uh, and grants given to them to put out more lies for this very important agenda that we must all believe in. You see that we are the problem. And then in June 2007, Tim Flannery warned Brisbane that its water supplies are so low they need desalinated water urgently, possibly in as little as 18 months. Last summer, Brisbane recorded the wettest December in 150 years. But of course, who could forget the Australian BOM, which predicted that the national outlook for total rainfall over spring, September to November, is neutral for most of the country, which was promptly followed by record downfalls and widespread floods, with some areas getting 400% of the average rainfall. The only part of the country that the BOM predicted uh, wetter than normal spring was in southwest uh, West Australia, which recorded one of its uh, driest springs since measurements began. <laughs> so they're wrong in everything here. But uh, this is quite a good site, just got some... Um, that's got articles from the Club of Rome that came up with the idea of global warming. The guys that said that would fit the, del- the bill, you know, t- to make us all buckle under and they'd bring in an authoritarian system and other, other little articles as well. So I'll put this up tonight for you to peruse and have a good laugh at. But unfortunately, even though we laugh away, you see it's now the law 
It's the law. These are the new priests you see of science, and uh, they're getting all the backing of the big boys who put them there. They have a very important job to do to get all this rammed down our brains, all this nonsense. Now, the Met Office in Britain was also getting huge grants and so on for global warming, and it says here from the Mail Online, uh, Met Office knew the big freeze was coming, but hushed it up. It says the Met Office warned ministers as politicians didn't expect an exceptionally cold winter, but then kept the prediction secret from the public. So we're supposed to still believe it's warming. The forecasters decided not to reveal information because it was embarrassed after wrongly predicting a barbecue summer in 2009, the BBC analyst Roger Harabin said. Instead of a seasonal forecast, it offered only monthly snapshots. Uh, cars try to make, then it shows you the cars try to get their way through all the snow in, the, the, right now in Britain. They got the army out and everything with so much snow, they couldn't handle it. And all the, all the different counties cut back and getting prepared for it by not bothering to order in the sand and gravel for the roads because after all it was going to be an, a barbecue winter. And here they are under piles and piles of snow. So it's quite something what's, got, what's going on. But again, you can't keep a good liar down and they all come up to the surface and get put on government positions and then they tell us how to live and what to eat, what not to eat and to be austere, etc. And now, of course, as we know, at the last Cancun meeting, the whole idea was to grab money from every country and get these traitors that call, you, you call prime ministers and, and um, presidents to sign your cash away to their big businesses in third world countries. Now, here's an article here that's very unsettling too. It's one of many that's come out with uh, genetic tampering. Uh, it's, it's GM pigs this time. It's in Canada. And it says, green ham with your eggs. It says, the BBC's Jeremy Cook has had rare access to some genetically modified enviro pigs in Canada. In a small complex of nondescript barns set in the flat, snow-covered fields of Ontario is a scientific project which some argue represents the new frontier for technology that could benefit millions of people around the world. For others, what is happening here is weird, dangerous science. The pigs they're breeding could be amongst the first genetically modified farm animals to be approved for human consumption. Actually, you can actually take the fish in because they've already modified the fish and they're farming them. And it says here that the huge controversy over the introduction of genetically modified crops is well documented, but this seems to take that a debate, this debate a step further and even into more troubled waters. The project is called EnviroPig. The animals inside the clean, warm barns look like normal pigs and behave like normal pigs, but they're living, breathing wonders of modern science. I mean, little monsters. I've, I've seen the ones they did for, for calves and so on, and, and the one they did for pigs before, and the skeletal system was so fragile to get a camera shot that they had to hold this poor thing up. It was so sick. It was disgusting. Anyway, it says, each one contains genes from mice, and, the, and their favorite, of course, E. coli bacteria. And... Um, which have been inserted into their DNA with absolute precision. These genes make a small but important difference to the way these pigs process their food. It changes their whole system inside. Each time a cell dies off, uh, the new DNA, which is fixed to the E. coli, uh, reproduce themselves to take its place until eventually the whole thing is re-engineered. It says, ordinarily, pigs cannot easily digest chemicals called phosphates, 
That means that the stuff that comes out at the back end can be toxic and damaging to the environment. The phosphates are easily washed into waterways where they can produce a hugely fertile environment for plants. But the plants grow so rapidly they can choke the stream or river and cause huge damage to the ecosystem. So in other words, it's a great fertilizer. So, but, well, it can choke the ecosystem. And I'll go into more of this when I come back and tell you what else I've done with these pigs back after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the matrix, and we're talking about the new GM pigs. They're, they've been tried. They've tried this before. GM pigs. I don't know if people realize that they had GM pigs in the U.S. in the late 70s and eventually end up in the food supply, and uh, that's all mixed up together with the food supply with the pigs in the U.S. Now, uh, they've been at this for years. They always try to say it's something brand new, but they've been at this for years. And to be honest with you, too, when they, they write this kind of thing in the newspaper, for every one that they tell you about, every lab they tell you about or experimental place, that there's other places uh, all over the place, we'll never ever hear here off, uh, on islands and different places that are inaccessible, and it's been like that for an awful long time. Uh, and everything that they try has already been done on a much higher scale somewhere. These guys are doing what's called research. They're searching again as stuff that's already been done. But uh, this is the stuff that we at the bottom level are supposed to believe. They're just on the cutting edge right now, you see. Anyway, Professor Rich Mosia of the University of Guelph is proud of what's been achieved. And uh, then he goes on to his little PR spiel of how it's wonderful and uh, it's, it's a great discovery and all that kind of stuff. But it says, but it's controversial to those who've campaigned so long and hard against introduction of genetically modified crops. The notion of genetically mo- engineered animals such as Enviro Pig, even the name Enviro Pig, right? and fast-growing GM salmon as a new front in a long war. And Toronto, the big carrot supermarket, is among the few GM-free outposts in North America. They've been fighting for years to hold back the tidal wave of genetically modified produce. Anti-GM campaigner Lucy Sharat, the very notion of transgenic animals is a nightmare. She was a nightmare for us all, actually. Because, um, remember, the pig is the closest thing to a human, supposedly, and genetically. And do you really think this is all to do with pigs? Do you really do? When I was small, for goodness sake, I asked the questions. What? They kept showing these science things on television about little rats running around cages and stuff and doing experiments on them and how they can train them to do that. I thought, this, why do they want to train rats to be nice when they invade folks' homes or something? I mean, this is all to do with human beings, for God's sake. Do you understand? Every test that's been out there is how to modify the behavior and now it's the very structure, genetic structure, of humans that they're really going towards. For those that haven't clued into it yet. Or they, or they can get a chimp to, 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 to communicate using so many words. You think it's all about training a chimp? It's all behavior modification. And how to alter all kinds of life, but especially human life. The ones at the bottom are the biggest problems and those at the top. Not so much as we used to be. We're really tamed now, very tame. But so we used to be quite wild at one time. We did things about it when we felt threatened and so on. But uh, here they go again with their, with their GMG, their M, this and all the rest of it, etc. 
And um, there's always fallout from everything that they tamper with in nature, as we all know. I hope we do know this. There's another one here, another article, and it's uh, from the Atlantic, and it's, it's talking about where the U.S. is supposed to be heading towards. I'm also putting up tonight a link to George Soros giving an interview, and he's quite casual about telling you where the New World Order is going. He's quite happy with it. You'll hear him saying we an awful lot when he's mentioning uh, the World Bank and um, the IMF. He even mentions at one point that a lot, a lot of the countries that got bailouts, or that have got them, really didn't need them, but that money could go, he says. In other words, the bailouts, the, the, the loans they're taking from the IMF, um, uh, will actually go to certain United Nations uh, uh, promoted uh, businesses in third world countries. So we're borrowing to give away. That's a, that's a redistribution of wealth, etc. He's quite casual about it all. And he'll mention them. You understand that the IMF and so he even mentions the G20. The G20 is the sort of term that the Milner Group brought up because they used to have committees of all kinds. And some were called committees of 50 and councils of four and stuff like that so that no one else would knew what they were talking about if you heard it in conversation. The G20 is exactly the same. What is the G20? Hmm? And, and who elected them? Well, you know, uh, in whose constitution could they go off and, and make another club, an international club, with your prime ministers and presidents? Well, they did it to bring in a, a closed global society under their control, of course, or their master's control, because none of these guys are the bosses. So I'll put that link up with Soros, and you can see that for yourself. And it's quite an interesting name, Soros. It's related to a snake or a dragon. However, he's a man of sorrows. I call him a man of sorrows because he's brought sorrow to billions of people with finagling the stock market with his other pals. Now, back to this article here from the Atlantic. It says, if you happen to be watching NBC in the first Sunday morning in August last summer, you'd have seen something curious. Uh, it was on Meet the Press. The host, David Gregory, was interviewing a guest who made a forceful case that the U.S. economy had become very distorted. In the wake of the recession, the guest explained high-income in- individuals, large banks and major corporations had experienced a significant recovery. The rest of the economy, by contrast, including small business and a very significant amount of the labor force, was stuck and still struggling. What we were seeing, he argued, was not a single economy at all, but rather fundamentally two separate types of of economy, increasingly distinct and divergent. And he's absolutely right, this guy. You've got two types of economy now. One that's meant to be the winner and they can't lose, and the rest are meant to go downhill and they can't win. It says, this diagnosis, though alarming, was hardly unique, drawing attention to the divide between the wealthy and everyone else has long been standard fare for the left. The idea of two Americas was a central theme of John Edwards' 2004 and 2008 presidential runs. It says, what made the argument striking in this instance? Well, it was being offered by none other than the former five-term Federal Reserve Chairman, Alan Greenspan, iconic libertarian, a preeminent defender of the free market, and at least until recently the nation's foremost devotee of Ayn Rand. When the high priest of capitalism himself is declaring the growth in economic inequality a national crisis, then something has gone very, very wrong. Uh, no, it's not at all. It's when something's gone very, very right. It was planned to happen this way. 
So this widening gap between the rich and non-rich has been evident for years. In a 2005 report to investors, for instance, three analysts at Citigroup advised that the world is dividing into two blocks, the, the plutonomy and the rest. In a plutonomy, there's no such animal as the U.S. consumer or the U.K. consumer or indeed the Russian consumer. There are rich consumers, few in number, but disproportionate in the gigantic slice of income and consumption they take. There are the rest, the non-rich, the multitudinous many, but only accounting for surprisingly small bites of the national pie. And, and that's the way it's supposed to be. There's no doubt about it. It's planned that way. Make most of the country defenseless and, and they'll all be asking for help. Uh, they don't think of doing anything else except ask for help. There's nothing more disgusting than seeing uh, people in the streets with the placards saying uh, to the government, give us jobs. That's called socialism. You've been brought to what the, what the Fabians wanted you to, to socialism. Now you're begging the masters. And the Soviet story, the great video was put out of the true, um, the true Russia, the Soviet regime, with its massive slaughtering and starvation of millions of people. You, you'll see uh, one of the founders of the Fabian Society, George Bernard Shaw, a rare clip of him talking where he says, when we are in charge, you, you, every one of you, he's talking about the lower classes, will have to come to us and justify why we should keep you alive. That's socialism. That's a real socialism, folks. That's a true face of socialism. It's an authoritarian system. It is the system you're under now. Even though they're calling it globalism, it's transferred its name from Soviet and socialism to now it's just called globalism. It's an authoritarian society. You do and, and what we tell you, or else. I'm also putting a link to this site tonight, and it's from uh, the Daily Bail, actually, and it came from Bloomberg originally. It says, the five largest loan servers, servers including Bank of America Core, J.P. Morgan, Chase & Co., and maybe the first to settle with the first 50 state attorneys general probing for closures practice, they're doing investigations into them, Iowa Attorney General Tom Miller said. No settlements have been reached yet, Miller said yesterday in a phone interview, that the other three are Citigroup Inc., Wells Fargo and Co., and Ally Financial Inc., said Miller, the leader of the 50-state investigation. The five have, have 59% of the U.S. market, Miller said. What we're looking at is uh, five separate agreements with the five largest service providers, or largest services, he says, we're still a ways away from reaching agreements, he says. We're working hard to figure out what should be in the settlement. All 50 U.S. states are investigating whether banks and loan services or servicers used false documents and signatures to justify hundreds of thousands of foreclosures. They faked them, folks. The probe announced October the 13th came after J.P. Morgan and Ally Financial's GMAC mortgage unit said they would stop repossessions in 23 states where courts supervise home seizures. And, and Bank of America, the largest U.S. lender, froze foreclosures nationwide. It says the group isn't pursuing a, crimin- a criminal investigation, Miller said. Our focus is to reform the servicing process, and it's an inherently civil, not criminal, he said. It's amazing there's never any criminal uh, proceedings come, come out of these guys faking signatures and all the rest of it and, and, and sinking a country. Eh? In an interview last week, Miller said the group might consider matters including whether services are charging borrowers appropriate fees. <laughs> we hear stories far too often 
uh, of it taking months before servicers get back to people, or they lose documents that they don't modify alone when it makes sense. And then there's the great comments beneath it that go into the, the natural common sense argument of how come they can they can rob millions of people blind, they can fake uh, signatures and the whole bit, and there's no charges. Well, it's because, you see, uh, they're the bosses. That's why. They run your governments. Okay, your governments gave them pretty well all your hands. Your governments have given you given them all your great grandchildren will ever have, with all the all the loans that they've given to them from your tax money, and they borrowed that money from international bankers to do that. He's another site too. It's very good on what's happening to America. Years ago, I said to people, "Haven't you noticed that the cities and the roads and so on are falling apart?" At one time, when you got a pothole, they'd get the real tarmac, the hot tar with the stones in it and the whole thing, and you see the hot machines there pouring it in and really tapping it down and tapping it down until you could hardly tell that it was a repair patch it was put on. Now they just pour this stuff and it lasts about a week or two before it's all washed out again. And it's the same with everything else you look around. They, they said at Toronto a few years back there to, to fix the infrastructure of the city including all the sewer pipes and so on that are burst and there's leaks everywhere, as well as building a new city. Well, these are the cities that they're going to cram us into for the next 50 years as we all die off. That's why they weren't going to fix it. That's why. These cities are to be prison camps. They already are to an extent. But it says everything is falling apart. 20 facts that you will not want to read if you still want to feel good about America's decaying infrastructure. If you hadn't noticed lately, America is literally falling apart all, all around us. Decaying infrastructure is everywhere. Roads and bridges are crumbling and are full of holes. The rail system is ancient. The airports and runways have definitely seen better days. Aging sewer systems all over the country leaking raw sewage all over the place. The power grid is straining to keep up with the ever-increasing thirst of American people for electricity. Actually, they're closing down uh, coal generators, you see, and they aren't replacing them. And they don't, they don't intend to replace them. Dams are failing at an unprecedented rate. Virtually all of the ports are handling far more traffic than they're ever intended to, to handle because it's all come from China. Meanwhile, our national spending on infrastructure is way down. Back during the 50s and 60s, we were spending between 3 and 4% of national GDP on infrastructure, but today we're spending less than 2.5% of the national GDP on it. And look at your taxes in the city too. Ever-increasing taxes just went up and up and up. For what? For what? According to the American Society of Civil Engineers, we need to spend approximately $2.2 trillion on infrastructure repairs and upgrades just to bring our existing infrastructure up to a good condition. Well, you'll never get that happening. They don't tend to do it. But they do go into other things that I've done too, how whole, some states are actually uh, tearing up the tarmac. I've read some articles before on the air about this and replacing it with gravel because it's far cheaper. But these are then temporary roads, you see. They don't last terribly long. Everything in the country is to be temporary because under Agenda 21 and the Millennium Project, we're not supposed to be, have, uh, be in possession of private motor vehicles. We all live in our little sustained communities, which are just crowded or overcrowded cities. It's going to be, it's to be essential vehicles only. Quite something. Eh? And Decline of the Empires talks about this too. 29% of Americans say it's difficult to afford food. 
the Pew Research Center for the People and the Press released their year-end survey December 15th. Their polling revealed that for the public, a tough year ended on a down note. Well, no kidding. I guess that's what we need experts to tell us, eh? Consistent with the mood of the nation all year, 2010 is closing on a down note. Fully 72% are dissatisfied with national conditions. 89% rate national economic conditions as only fair or poor. And majorities or pluralities think the country is losing ground on nine of its 12 major issues. The survey results are not surprising, and I would cover them in depth if it weren't for some rather important information that was buried in in the next to last paragraph. The survey finds that a majority of the public, 57%, say it's very difficult or difficult to afford things they really want. About the same percentage said this two years ago uh, at 55%. And for many Americans, affording basic necessities remains a struggle, which is 51% say it's difficult to afford health care. 48% say the same about their home heating and electric bills. And 29% say it's difficult to afford food. He says, I just quoted Pew, and you read the quotes, but I want to make sure all of us truly absorbed what it says. So let me repeat uh, information as a series of bullet points. Affording basic necessities remains a struggle. 51% say it's difficult to afford health care. 48% say the same thing about their home heating and electric bills. And 29% say it's difficult to afford food. Why isn't this information front page news? Can you see the headline? I can see it splashed across the top front page of the New York Times. 29% of Americans say it's difficult to afford food. And and so on and so on it goes. But that's the way it's supposed to go because I already read that little bit about Greenspan who also points out the same thing. You have two economies in the U.S. now and in the U.K. and elsewhere. The stinking rich and then all the rest. And that's the way it's, it's been planned to go, folks. The complete eradication of the middle class and even the lower middle class a lot of people in, in America uh, don't realize that they class themselves as middle class, but they're still working people in factories. They went by their income, not by the suit and tie that they wore going off to the job like they do in Europe. And they've been pretty well wiped out. And they had to be wiped out because, after all, they, they, your big bosses a long time ago planned to give all industry to China. All industry to China. And it's been awfully successful. We're just living through the chaos now. And we're back with more on the decline of the empire after this break. We're back and we're cutting through the matrix. And just this little article at the end here, something that you would think you would have read coming out of the Soviet Union because it's completely socialist and it's the same wording they use and so on uh, because these are kind of bureaucraties and how they speak. They can't say anything simply and straightforwardly and uh, they do a lot of hinting and so on. But this comes from a a Seattle paper and it says, uh, planning ahead is considered racist. It says, are you salting away a little money for your retirement, trying to plan for your children's education? A so Seattle public school, Seattle public school seems to think you're a racist. 
is according to the district's official website, having a future time orientation, which is academies for having long-term goals, is among the aspects of society that overtly and covertly attribute value and normality to white people and whiteness and devalue, stereotype and label people of color. This is exactly the stuff they put out in the Soviet Union. It says, huh, not all the district's definitions of racism, and there are lots of them, are so cryptic. The site goes on to, on immediately to say emphasizing individualism as opposed to a more collective ideology is another form of cultural racism. They don't like individuality at all. It's a big problem for the elite, in fact. It says, regardless of your color, your affinity for planning, or your penchant for reading Das Kapital under Fremont's Lenin statue, does it, this make any sense to you? See if this sounds familiar, a government agency redefining a highly charged word to advance a particular ideology. And note to the Seattle School Board and Administration, George Orwell's novel 1984 was a cautionary tale, not a how-to book. And the folks trying to control people's thoughts through state manipulation of the language, they were the bad guys. Well, I did an article about a week ago, but in Britain they actually have a board, like a PSYOPs board, working on top of the government to alter people's behavior with the similar kind of stuff. It says here, but this is still a free country, thanks to their ostensibly racist regard for individual liberty. Seattle Public Schools board members and officials are free to adopt whatever definitions of racism they choose. It is inherently divisive, however, for an official government school system to promote one ideology over another. Unfortunately, it's also unavoidable. Wherever there's a single official school system for which everyone is compelled to pay, it results in endless battles over the content of that schooling. And this is socialism again, too, to eliminate all uh, types of school and bring a standardized schooling across the world. That's what UNESCO is about. They put out the blueprints for all the schools to follow across the world. So this pattern holds true across nations and across time. Think of our own recurrent battles over school prayer, the Pledge of Allegiance, the teaching of human origins, selection and banning of textbooks and library books, dress codes, history standards, sex education, etc. Similar battles are fought over wearing Islamic headscarves in French public schools and over the national curriculum in England. And it says, historically, societies have suffered far less conflict when families have been able to get the sort of education they deem best for their own children without having to foist their preferences on their neighbors. And that's your problem with liberalism or socialism. You see, they stand no competition. They pretend they are so liberal with everything, but really uh, they're utterly, utterly intolerant of any other opinion, any other opinion whatsoever. And they want everything standardized. Is that liberal to you? Is that, is that what you thought liberalism was? Everything sta- they tell you what you can say and what you can't say. They actually tell you, oh, you can't say that. And now they're telling you, you can't even think that. But this is socialism. And I say globalism really is just the new term for, for socialist collectivism run by you know, the proper people, the scientific society, the academia working on behalf of the financial masters. That's the reality of the world we're living in, folks. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you. <laughs>